When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 114, and we are recording on January 16th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. Welcome. (laughs) Thanks. To the show you've been on 114 times. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I do. I do love that we're in triple digits now. I'm not going to lie. It makes me happy. We've been planning for some upcoming special episodes mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because the Jane Austen episode did really well. So we've got we've got some good ones coming. So keep an eye out for that. The first one will be in March. Um, but I'm not going to tell you what it is because I'm a jerk. Surprise. <laughs> so what are you reading, Jen? So I just finished rereading the opening and closing of No Men by Nick Herkaway, which is his newest book um, because I am I'm interviewing him tonight as part yeah. of a bookstore event, which I'm super excited about because like... Well, my my love for Nick Harkaway's books goes way back. Um, And yeah, it is his most complicated slash mind-boggling book yet, which is saying something. Oh, yeah. Because his (laughs) books are almost always complicated and mind-boggling. But this one is like the onion of storytelling. Like, it just has so many weird layers, and it takes a while to figure out how... It's like a big puzzle, like, trying to put it all together. Um, but it's it's a sci-fi novel uh, about a future Britain in which there is, like, a... It's a surveillance state. It's not even that future. Like, the technology is all very plausible. Um, and one of... Uh, that Like, so it's... There's universal surveillance, including, like, there's... The system can even, like, go in and read your mind... Um, if you like sit down in a in a chair and get connected to electrodes and stuff. And it's it's like hyper democracy, like everybody votes on things through the surveillance system. So it's supposed to be like, you know, totally transparent and everyone is transparent, so there's no corruption. Um and then somebody dies during a like mind reading thing. They're brought in for questioning and she dies. And so an inspector gets assigned to like review her mental files to find out what happened, and then like everything goes wonky after that point. So it is super interesting and really, it's like a really fun, but like also challenging read. I had to have a dictionary. I'm not going to lie. Wow. (laughs) There were some words that I was like, I don't know what that word means. (laughs) Still don't know what that word means like five chapters later, (laughs) but I did like it a lot. Uh, What about you? Um, I have just started the line becomes a river by Francisco Cantu, which comes out, uh, I think, from Riverhead in February. And it is a memoir of Francisco, (laughs) who is the son of Mexican-American immigrants. And I think his mother, not necessarily his father, I don't remember. Um, And he is raised in Arizona along the border. And his mom is a park ranger, so he's, like, very in tune with um, the outdoors and natural, you know, whatever stuff, the outside parts of Arizona. (laughs) Um, and so he, he, you know, and and he, so he grows up like right at the border and then he goes off to school and studies like international relations and decides to join border patrol as an, as like a young adult, um, to, to get to like more physical, uh, and real life experience of what you know, living and working on the border is like. So he joins Border Patrol. And I haven't gotten to that point in the book yet. So I'm not sure if, like, he didn't know what that would be. But he, you know, then ends up having to arrest uh, people who are crossing the border illegally and um, gets promoted eventually out of, like, field work into the intelligence section of Border Control and then gets really, like, deeply involved in drug cartels and all this crazy stuff. Wow. Um, and then he has to leave because it has such, like, a psychological effect on him. Um, and then so he goes back to like working, you know, and in, in not in, in border control. And then one of his friends gets detained by border control trying to cross the border when he has gone home to visit family. Um, so it's like this really uh, I'm making like weird wiggly finger motions, like complicated, entangled tale of like one life at the border. Uh, and I have never read uh, any I don't think anything like not internet posts nothing uh, from the perspective of somebody who actually worked in border control and certainly not somebody like a person of color who worked in border control. That is such a fascinating, mm-hmm. like 
thing. So I'm enjoying it so far. I really like just started it two days ago, so I'm not very far in, but he's a really great writer, like very poetic. Um, anyway, let's do these in different order because I put these on the agenda the wrong way. <laughs> so feedback um, from our last episode, we had a reader who was looking for books for a seven-year-old boy and our one of our insiders, Sarah, recommended the Lunch Lady series and the Dogman series, which are, yes, the Dogman series. I can't believe I forgot that existed. My boys are obsessed with that. It's like very largely illustrated, uh, lots of, it's almost like a comic book and it's about a dog who is a police officer and <laughs> solves crimes and it's great. Um, and then for the reader who was looking for books that are from other countries that are not about war or racism, our insider Melissa recommended Thousand Cranes by uh, Yasunari Kawabara, who she, uh, this is like a quote, she says, it's about a man who meets his late father's mistress and gets sort of obsessed, but more in a flies in the face of Japanese manners way and not in a creepy stalker will kill you way. So that sounded really interesting. Um, so go check those out. And how the show works. Like I mentioned, this is a show for personalized reading recommendations. So if you need a reading recommendation for yourself or your book club or a gift for someone, you can send any and all of those to us. Um, you can email your request to us at getbookedatbookriot.com or you can drop them in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. We might answer your question via email instead of on the show if it's something we've already answered or it's time sensitive or we're not going to get to it. If your question is time sensitive, please note it in the subject line of the email or in the first line of your question if you're using the forms. Okay, we are going to read our first question, do our first sponsor, and then get rolling. All right, so our first question is from Tracy, who says, I am looking for book recommendations about espionage, secret agencies slash organizations, and heists, but prefer ones that are lighter and not too dark. Because of this, I tend to read more YA books, Map of Fates by Maggie Hall, for instance, but would love to read more adult fiction. I also like Sherlock Holmes adaptations such as the Jacoby series by William Ritter, Stoker and Holmes series by Colleen Gleason, and A Study in Charlotte by Brittany Cavallero. Okie dokie. So before we get into that, we're going to talk about our first sponsor, which is Owlcrate. Owlcrate is a monthly subscription box service for bookworms. Every month, they send out a newly released hardcover YA novel, as well as a bunch of whole, a whole bunch of bookish goodies and keepsakes that go along with the book. Uh, every month, there's a different and unique theme, and a lot of the items that are included in the boxes are handmade and are from small businesses, like you know some of your favorite Etsy sellers. And most of them are actually exclusive to the Owlcrate box, so you will not find them on the Etsy seller's website or anywhere else. Um, Owlcrate has also started sending out books with exclusive cover designs um, just for the editions that go in their boxes. So like, if you're a collector or a completionist when it comes to pretty covers of, of YA novels, then this is definitely something you want to check out. They've also recently launched a new box for kids called Owl Crate Junior, which is a similar concept, but the books and all of the items that come with it are tailored to uh, kids between 8 and 12, ages 8 to 12. And at least one of the goodies that comes in each Owl Crate Junior box is a usable activity, so something that they can do, um, play with to encourage creativity and exploration and the, you know, the, use of, the use of their imaginations. So thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Go check out Owl Crate. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Heist books! Heist, heist, heist. So, <laughs> The Lies of Lock Lamora by Scott Lynch is what I'm recommending. Surprising no one, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is, it's such a good heist book. Um, and it's the first in the Gentleman Bastard series. This is a fantasy novel. It's pretty high fantasy. So, it's like Ocean's Eleven. If Ocean's Eleven were set in, like, 14th century Venice in space... And had no women in it, which is a minor, not minor, but it is a quibble that I have with the book. There are very few women. Um, so Locke Lamora is the main character. He's an orphan in this island city called Camor, uh, which is built on, like, the ruins of an alien race that no one has any record of and that, like, is super mysterious and no one knows anything about. So he's born into poverty, and he's an orphan, and he turns out to have um, a really good gift for pickpocketing, and he gets picked up by um, an eyeless priest named Chains, who is not actually a priest. He like, he's like a con artist and he uses that as a cover. Um, and his, he's, um, he's kind of like the, the Dodger in, um, Oliver Twist a little bit where he like collects orphans and creates this sort of found family and then trains them to be thieves and con artists and sends them out to enrich himself. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, you kind of follow Lacamora as he grows up a little bit. And then um, the main bulk of the book is when he is a young man and he is kind of the leader of the Gentleman Bastards. And they pull off all of these con games. Um, and they're all pretty successful. He's infamous. And uh, they do this like Robin Hood sort of thing where 
you know, they rob from all the nobles of the city. And so he's, he's really infamous amongst them and also amongst, like, the underworld of the city. Um, but then pretty soon, the, like, underworld's most feared head crime boss um, starts being attacked. Like, all of his underlings are, like, murdered and... Locke is not involved and isn't doing it, but, like, whoever is doing it is making it seem like he is, and so there's, like, blackmail and adventure. There are actual sharks. And I talked about sharks in the last episode, too, and now I'm feeling like that's, like, a thing. Um, But there are, like, gladiatorial games involving sharks. Um, And there's, there's, like, magic, and... And I can't say anything else because of spoilers, but it's a lot of fun, and it is very um, satisfying in that Ocean's Eleven way where, like, oh, that's how they did it. Like, you get all the tricks behind the scenes, which I really love. So, uh, yeah, and it's a whole series. You can go read the whole thing. So that's The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. Sharks. It's <laughs> <laughs> Amanda's new sign-off. Sharks. Um, I, 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 like, almost changed my mind six more times as we were recording. I kept changing my mind about how to answer this question. Because you said you wanted a doll. And, and I, I've talked about Provenance by Anne Leckie a bunch recently. So I'm just going to shout that one out, too, because that is also, like, a heist gone wrong in space. But I really wanted to recommend a series, and it's actually a middle grade series. So, it but it's so much fun, and it's so exactly what you're talking about. It's Lawless by Jeffrey Selaney. The first book is also called Lawless. That's the name of the series as well. And it is about a school called the Lawless School that literally, like, it, you you go as a kid and you learn to be a super, like, super criminal basically it's like super criminal school so um m freeman is the main character and she's been homeschooled um and then she gets like accepted to the mysterious lawless school she doesn't really know what it's about um and she's like oh i am going to crime school like i guess my tutors have kind of been preparing me for this and i didn't realize like she's good at escape tactics and she's good at spotting forgeries and she can like pick pockets and craft you know crack safes and so um so she's she's in this school. She's, like, doing really well. She's having some, you know, trouble fitting in, trying to find her people, which is, you know, pretty classic, like, boarding school stuff. And then the sort of muckety-mucks in the school take an interest in her. And she starts to find out more about her family and things she didn't know about her father and his death. Um, and so, and then, like, she's been sort of raised to believe that, like, like this is all fine. Like, she's totally she has like no qualms about being at crime school um but she starts to and there's like a competing like superhero school and and they have like scuffles with each other um and she starts to find out that there's like more to all of this than meets the eye there's also like an art heist um there's so much fun action in here there's like a danger room where they have to like do team exercises it's just really immersive and so enjoyable and it is a series um there are three books in the series and they are all out. So if you enjoy it, you can just like plow right through it. And M is a really fun character to follow because she's so matter of fact about everything. Like she doesn't have a lot of internal angst. Like she's very low on angst. It's more just low like, angst. I know it's really nice. Actually, she's just like, all right, what's going on? Who do I believe? And how do I figure out what to do about it? And I just thought it was a delightful series. So that's Lawless by Jeffrey Selaney. My pick for the next question has the most angst of any book I think I've ever read. So it's like <laughs> oh, a nice you're not wrong. Well, mine too, actually. There's a lot of angst in the next question. <laughs> All right. Question two is from Diane, who says, I'm a high school English teacher, and my classes do a lot of independent reading. Each month, students choose a book in a specific category. We are coming up on the based on another story category, and I need some recommendations for my students. I've recommended uh, Wicked as based on Wizard of Oz, Marissa Myers, Marissa Myers Cinder as based on Cinderella, and Laura Ruby's Bone Gap as based on Persephone, but I need a bunch more. <laughs> Books that would appeal to my boys would be especially helpful. Okay, I picked All Our Pretty Songs by Sarah McCary, which is a YA novel that's a retelling of the Orpheus um, myth. And it's basically like if, like an alternate universe Nirvana fan fiction, yes. heroine chic, but with demons? <laughs> it's real hard to explain. But uh, if, like, punk rock L.A. is the thing that you're interested in, then you will 
really, really like this book. And it's a very much about music and the music industry um, and, like, what you're willing to give up for your art and friendship and all of this kind of, like, just feelings, lots of feelings. So the main character doesn't have a name. She's, like, an unnamed narrator. And she is best friends with this girl who they've, like, grown up together. Their mothers are best friends. And um, her best friend's name, I'm not, Aurora. Uh, Aurora's dad was a famous musician who had like one big hit record got really famous became super depressed and committed suicide and their mothers haven't spoken since then and so aurora has been growing up and like you know the shadow of her father and all of this kind of thing her mother's a drug addict and is like really not around and aurora is like moody and makes really bad choices and doesn't care about her own personal safety or her health um or her mental health or anything but she's you know pretty and dramatic so Everyone kind of lets her get away with what she wants. Oh, and rich. So, you know, add that in. And then the narrator, who is her best friend, has kind of taken it upon herself to watch over Aurora throughout their life. And so they are, like, unbreakably bonded twinsy best buddies. And then a um, really, like, frighteningly gifted musician named Jack shows up at one of Aurora's parties, and the narrator and Jack fall for each other. Um, But she has this constant, like, he really loves Aurora. Why is he with me? She's so much prettier than me, that kind of thing. Um, and then she also feels like she a little bit has to compete with his, like his love for music. Um, and then, man, how do you even get into like the supernatural part (laughs) of this book? Um, it sounds so weird when you explain it out loud, but like this very tall, pale, ghosty looking man starts coming around, um, and promises to take Jack and Aurora to LA to like give them everything they've ever wanted in exchange for something. Um, which I'm sure you can guess if you're like at all familiar with the Orpheus myth. And the narrator has to go save them or not save them. Maybe save them. Try to save them. Like, I'm not going to tell you what happens, obviously. But it is so angsty. Like, every dramatic, melodramatic, over-the-top emotion that you had when you were 17, like, that is in this book. And I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, I read it in, like, a sitting. It's so great. And Sarah McCary, she just writes, she writes that, like, justifiable female angst so well like she's so good at it um it's just really satisfying so that's all our pretty songs by sarah mccary i love that whole series like huge cosine um i picked for you the wrath and the dawn by renee adier which is a retelling of the thousand and one nights and i picked it specifically well it's great but also it has a paired narration so it alternates between a female and a male point of view um which can help with you were looking for books that would appeal to the boys in your class so i think this would definitely work for them there's also a lot of action in it um so the story if you're familiar with um, Shahrazad, like it will not be unfamiliar to you. There's a land, it's ruled by a murderous, like, young king, and every dawn he kills his new bride who he wed the night before. Um, and then uh, he, one of the young women who he kills is the main character, Shahrazad's best friend. So she is like, vows vengeance and volunteers to be his next bride. And basically, she's on a suicide mission. She's like, I'm gonna go. And I'm going to kill him and maybe I'm going to die. But like he this can no longer stand. Um, And so she starts to tell him stories um, while she tries to figure out like how much time alone together do they have? How will she kill him? Like she's basically trying to assassinate him and trying to stay alive long enough to do it. Um, But the thing that starts to happen is that he's nothing like what she imagined him to be. And there's, like, maybe some reason, like, not a good reason, but a reason behind what's happening other than that he's just a monster. Um, And she, like, has a best friend who's a male back home. And, you know, so there's, like... There's a little bit of a love triangle, but they're not in the same room very often. So it's hard <laughs> to have a triangle when, like, the participants aren't, you know, near each other very often. But they this manages it regardless. Um, and so she, her mission sort of turns into unearthing what exactly is going on. And, like, maybe still killing him, but it's hard because now she has feelings about it. So it is, it does have some angst. It does have, like, a light love triangle situation going on. But it's a really, it moves real fast. It's really emergent. 
immersive. And it's a really interesting YA update of the Sherazad story. Uh, so, and it's the first in a series, but I think you can read the first book in a classroom and like have enough to talk about without getting, and then there's the second one is out. Um, but I, I think there's enough to talk about in the first one that it shouldn't be a problem that it's just book one of a series. You could do a lot of fun, like, okay, so what do you think is going on at the, for, at the beginning of the book versus the end of the book? That would be super fun to do. I'm like lesson planning for you. Sorry. Um, anyway, <laughs> so that's my pick, The Wrath and the Dawn by Renee Adier. And the next question is from Maria, who says, I've recently taken the plunge and set up a book club locally, and our first meeting is set at the end of this month. I would love some recommendations for books that, in your opinion, will lead to a good, interesting discussion. Just so you can get an idea, the first books that I've already set for the book club are Sarah Schmidt's See What I Have Done, The Goldfinch by Donna Tartt, and Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Egan. Some real meaty reads there, for (laughs) sure. Uh, These are books I would normally be reading myself. Any suggestions for possible books for the following months. Amanda, what'd you pick? Um, I did, uh, I'm like stuck on the goldfinch. That's super long. Mm-hmm. And if like your book club successfully makes it to the goldfinch, I'll be, I'll be really impressed. That's, that's impressive. Um, but my pick is also long, so whatever. So mm-hmm. the book, I've had the same book club in Richmond um, with pretty much the same core members for almost three years now. And the book that we have picked that generated the most discussion, hands down, was Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie which is a little long. It's, it's over uh, 500 pages and we like to keep, or no, it is 500 pages ish. And we like to keep things under 350, but I thought it was worth it. And it was. Um, so this is the story of Femalu who uh, lives in Nigeria. She leaves, she grows up in Nigeria. She leaves to come to the U S to go to school and, um, becomes like a famous blogger writing about race. And because a lot of the things that she experiences, a lot of the open racism and microaggressions that she has that that happened to her when she moves to the US are like so bizarre to her for after living in Nigeria like it's just such a weird um living experience so she writes about that and becomes you know pretty well known as a as a writer about race on the internet uh while she was growing up in Nigeria she fell in love with like a local boy um named Obinze and he tries to get to America to like join her so that they can start a life together um but he can't he doesn't make it it's like 9/11 happens and America won't let him come so he becomes an undocumented worker in um in the UK and so you're following both of these threads as these things happen and then you fast forward to about uh like a dozen years after that happens and he has moved back to Nigeria and is like wealthy and successful. Um, and Ephemalu returns um, after, uh, I don't want to like spoil anything for you, but she, she goes back home um, and after she's like achieved a lot of success as a blogger um, but, and they're like seeking each other out. But after so long and they've like lived apart for so long and they both had such different experiences with racism and their immigration stories that like, do they have anything in common again? Like, are they even going to be able to talk to each other? It's a question mark. And the things that we ended up talking about most in this book was the fact that Ephemalu is annoying. Like, she's not a likable character. She's very flawed and, like, normal. Um, And some people in my book club couldn't handle that, and some people in my book club found it super refreshing to have a person who is not perfect, especially a a female character who isn't perfect and who, like, is sometimes selfish and sometimes makes bad choices, just like we all do, uh, represented on the page. And then... um, Obviously, the racial elements of the book, especially as compared to, like, comparing her experiences in the U.S. to her experiences in Nigeria and what that says about, like, racism in this country and the things that she goes through um, generated a lot of discussion and was very eye-opening for a lot of the white people in my book club who had, like, never considered why they shouldn't touch a black woman's hair. Like, literally, that thought had never occurred to them, and it was just like, okay, well, great. I'm glad it occurred to you eventually. (laughs) Um, so it's, it's, and it's so well-written. I mean, Adichie is an amazing writer. Um, despite its length, I got through it pretty fast. So I don't think it would be a struggle as a, as a book club pick. So that's Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. I picked for you The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead, which Oprah also picked for her book club. So I am just saying, <laughs> co-signed by Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this book is 
really good. You probably heard about it last year. Um, I think it is a great book club pick for a lot of reasons. Um, the first is that it is a historical fiction about uh, slavery in America. The like very small twist here is that you know whereas the Underground Railroad in our history is metaphorical in Colson Whitehead's version, it is literally like there are underground trains that smuggle slaves from one state to another, um, and there are like you know like conductors and and station masters and and the network you like you might not know if a station is still working or not and you know who are you going to experience is it going to be well kept or is it going to be really run down like there's there's a real variation um with the actual like underground trains but that's the only sort of speculative slash a historical bit of this otherwise it is a very sort of deep look at um, what it was like to be a slave who was on the run. So the main character, Cora, is on a cotton plantation in Georgia, um, and it's real bad. She like She's ostracized for various reasons by the slaves as well as um, abused by her masters. Um, and then a recent arrival, a new slave named Caesar, who comes from Virginia, tells her about the un- Underground Railroad, so they flee together. Um, and they do manage to like get away from the plantation and head north, but they're being hunted. So you follow them from sort of stop to stop and, you know, just like it's a lot of like just when you think like this is maybe going to be a safe place for them, like, nope, it's and they have to leave again. Um, And it is really, I mean, it's obviously very hard to read emotionally. There's a lot of brutal things depicted on the page, but it's also really immersive and like beautifully researched. Like you really feel like Colson Whitehead like poured all of the things that he learned and knew about our history in this matter onto the page and like into Cora and Caesar and 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 it's it's just so like it's a it's 300 pages in my head it's much longer because there's so much in here um and I think that there is a lot to talk about both in terms of just like what is on the page like plot wise but then also you know what do you as a group know about American history and and slavery what do you not know like which parts were familiar to you which were not like there's a lot of side research you could do um and Colson Whitehead is just an amazing writer. Like, he really is an incredible writer. So, and this is his first historical fiction, which is also interesting. So there's a lot of layers here to pick apart. Uh, so that is The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Okay, question four is from Jean, who says, I'm part of a sci-fi fantasy book club, and for February, I'm suggesting that we read a book, sci-fi or fantasy, that has a LGBTQ romance. It doesn't have to be the protagonist or antagonist, but I would prefer that. We've already read River of Teeth, which has several LGBTQ characters in it. Any suggestions would be of great help. Okay, I picked The Tiger's Daughter by Kay Arsenal Rivera, which is the first book in the Their Bright Ascendancy series. Um, I don't think the second one has come out yet. So sorry, because this one like just came out last year. Um, and so this is a high fantasy, epic fantasy uh, novel based on Mongolian culture um, and with lesbian main characters. So the two main characters, uh, Shafali and Shizuka, grow up together. Um, Shizuka is an empress. Like, she's born knowing, like, she's going to be the empress. Um, And I think when the book opens, they're eight. And when it ends, they're very young adults. So it's very much about, like, the first book is very much about their relationship developing and them growing up from children. Um, So she knows she's going to be the empress. And her... Her kingdom has some, like, calls to Chinese, like, ancient Chinese kind of, um, what am I trying to say? I thought it was uh, Japanese. Royalty? Or is it Japanese? I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm mixing them up. Um, I was thinking, in my head, I was like, do they have to cross an ocean to get to each other? And I don't think they did. So then I made a leap. Um, so she has, she's, like, treated essentially like divinity, right? Um, and then Shafali is, quote, like, a princess, but in her, like, very nomadic um, horse culture like they just they like ride horses it's very physical and outdoors being treated like when you're a princess it's not the same as being a princess and like this very you know aristocratic royal kind of thing so they have very different upbringings but their mothers are best friends and they are essentially raised together um with some separations in there uh and then they both have kind of supernatural abilities and so as they grow they encounter a lot of uh 
Man, I mean, they are just demons. Like, they, they live in this giant empire that has conquered, like, every land, that, you know, as far as the eye can see or whatever, but the borders are starting to crumble, and, like, this kind of, like, festering demonic influences are starting to encroach upon all of the borders. And their mothers are famous for being these, like, terrifying warriors who in their, you know not better years, but like the, in the good old days, they went out and like slew, slew tons of demons and they're, they're super famous for, for killing um, these terrible like supernatural invaders uh, and surviving it. And so the two of them, their two daughters think, well, we are going to be the same. Like we are destined for greatness. And a lot of the book is about watching them realize how actually that's like not easy. <laughs> like being destined for greatness and defending your country from invading supernatural forces while also having a really discreet relationship with your female best friend when that's not necessarily accepted in both of your cultures is like not the easy road, even if you are the divine empress. Like that's still hashtag hard path. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of like drama and battles. And I love, I love in this book how all of, not, yeah, is it all? I can't think of a dude. But, like, all of the big legendary um, warrior figures in this book are women. Like, all of them. And, um, all of, like, the poets and, uh, you know, storytellers in the society are all men. Like, it's just a nice, it's a nice, I'm making this wavy, wavy motions. Right? It's a nice reversal. I feel like I'm playing a harp. That's the motion <laughs> I'm making right now for some reason. Um, and their, their, like, devotion to each other is... is Oh, just right in the feels. I really liked it. So that's The Tiger's Daughter by Kate Arsenault Rivera. I picked Amber Lowe by Lara Elena Donnelly, which I will warn you, it's not a romance in that it has a happy ending, but it has a really great LGBTQ relationship is the word I'm going to go with. It is set in a second world. Um, that's what makes it fantasy. There's no magic. It's just like a totally different sort of alternate world that's a little bit reminiscent of uh, Cold War Europe. And it, so like the the tagline for this book is Lacare meets Cabaret, <laughs> which I love. I do love it. And it's, it's pretty accurate. Uh, so it is sort of a spy thriller. One of the main characters, Cyril, works for the intelligence agency. Um, and he is on a desk job now, kind of like getting to live his like worst life, like getting drunk and like hanging out, <laughs> sleeping with the um, MC at the local cabaret who he is very sure is in charge of like the drug trade in the city, but like they pretend not to know that, you know, each other knows what they really do. Like they have, they both have covers. They just pretend not to know. Um, but of course they know. And he is, uh, he's like pretty chill. Um, but there is another sort of state in this, uh, for municipal government situation that is on the rise. It's very radical. It's very conservative and they are sort of getting, popular support to unite the four municipalities under one government, which like would be very bad um, for the city of Amberlobe. And so you're following Cyril. He like gets pulled off of his desk job and put back into the field and gets captured by this one state party, the radical conservatives. And they're like, all right, well, we'll kill you or you can work for us. And he's like, uh, like, shoot (laughs) (laughs) well darn well darn um and so he has like some things to work out and then the his lover aristide macricosta who is the mc at the cabaret is in fact like a dealer and a smuggler um and aristide is an amazing character like he's a drag queen he's a performer he's like very smart and sort of um very manipulative like he works a room and like knows which politicians to like you know, rub elbows with and who he's got to bribe to make sure his things are, you know, continuing well. Um, And he sees Cyril getting sucked into this political espionage situation and is like, oh, this is bad news, like both for my business, but also because maybe I'm in love with this guy who I'd just kind of been, we were like pretending we're just sleeping with each other, but maybe we're actually, we have more feelings than that. Um, And so part of the story is them like figuring out like, what their relationship actually is like and how far 
they are willing to go for each other when push comes to shove. There's also one of the dancers at the cabaret gets like sucked into the whole situation. Her name is Cordelia. And she's like very streetwise trying to pretend to be of a higher class than she actually is. And I really loved her. She's so she's got moxie like for mm. days. And um, and she she's just a really great sort of counterpoint to Cyril and Aristide. So it is there's like a lot going on. It is like a spy thriller set in not our world, but with reminiscences of our world. And the characters are so good. And the like the cabaret, you get to meet some of the supporting characters. And it's just really it I I just loved this book. The ending, I will tell you, is like a is a heartbreaker. Um it does it is part of a series. The second book is coming out in May, I believe. But this stands alone pretty well. Like there are some questions at the end of the book that are not answered, but the big questions are sort of, you know, you feel like you have some closure on them. So I do think it would be good for a book club. And there's a lot to talk about. It's a really fun read. And it's just, yeah, it, it was one of the most sort of surprisingly, like I wasn't expecting it to love, I wasn't expecting to love it as much as I did last year when I read it for the first time. So that's Amberlow by Lara Elena Donnelly. And now it's time for our second sponsor, which is us. It's Book Riot Insiders. What, what? Hey. hey. So if one of your... 2018 goals is to live your best bookish life. We can help you with that. Book Riot Insiders, it has exclusive content for subscribers. There's a couple different levels of perks, so you can pick what perks you want. Uh, the top tier epic is gated, and but spots open up monthly, and novel level subscribers get first crack. So if you're eyeballing it and you're like, I really want that upper level, get in at novel level and you will get first dibs on any open spots for epic. You will get behind the scenes emails. We do special giveaways monthly. Uh, there's a special discount to the Book Riot store. There are two secret podcasts only for subscribers. And the big shiny is the new release index, which is curated by Liberty from all the books. And she like goes in and finds the most interesting upcoming books. And it's an interactive calendar. You can tag things for your watch list. You can see what's coming out when. It's really, really fun. You can actually take the new release index for a spin. So if you go to Book Riot and bookriot.com slash insiders, excuse me, bookriot.com slash insiders. Uh, you can find out all of the good stuff, um, test things out, take it for a spin, maybe join us. It's super fun. I love it. It's great. And okay. is it me again? Oh my it goodness. Is you. I'm just going to keep talking forever. All right. <laughs> Thanks to us for sponsoring the show. Our next, <laughs> our next uh, question is from Jessica, who says, I love books so much. I'm on a hunt for books about books. Fiction slash YA is my jam, but I'm open to any genre that keeps me turning the page. I would love a book where the main character finds a magical library or bookstore and or has an awesome relationship with books. I've read The Book Thief, but haven't been able to find anything else where books play a main role. Looking forward to your recommendations. Recommendations. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I picked The Invisible Library by Genevieve Cogman, which is the first book in the Invisible Library series, of which there are four at this point. I think the fourth one just came out. These books are so much fun. Um, they remind me a little bit of the Jasper Ford series, um, where, but not. Not necessarily as punny, <laughs> but uh, so Irene is the main character. She works for the Invisible Library, which is a um, library that exists between alternate universes. So in this world, in this you know the world of this book, um, there are various alternate universes, and the library exists to collect books that are specific to each alternate universe and keep them so that nothing bad happens to them. And so she gets a. Um, assignment to go to a particular alternate London to retrieve a special copy of Grimm's Fairy Tales, and she's also given a student to take with her, whose name is Kai. And so he has been trained for like five years and is ready to, you know, go out there and get in the field and do the thing and rah, 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 find the book. But when they get there, uh, the book has already been stolen by somebody who is not them, and there are a bunch of like different underground underworld factions who were like battling to find it um and while all of this is happening this like magical chaotic infestation is occurring so that like there are vampires and there are fae and there are dragons and there are magical spy librarians who have like magical tattoos that protect them from danger um and every book in the series they go to like a different alternate universe and like solve a mystery it's just a lot of fun it's a lot of fun so that's the invisible library by genevieve cogman 
magical spy librarians here for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a post from a little bit back called 100 Must Read Books About Books. So I'm going to link that for you in the show notes because there are so many. It was really hard to pick just one. Um, But you said you liked YA. And so I wanted to point you at Inkheart by Cornelia Funk. I think that's how you say her last name. It could be Funke if that was... But I don't know and I apologize for getting it wrong if I did. (laughs) Um, So Inkheart is really enjoyable. I remember reading it and just being like, why can't I live in this book forever? Um, You now can live in it more because there are three books uh, in the series. The first one starts off when uh, our main character Maggie, or excuse me, Maggie is 12 and her father can't, he's like a book binder slash repairer. um, And that's his, that's his job. He can read fictional characters to life. Um, So he can like read a book and pull a character into the world that they, like our world, our normal world. So characters like actually jump off the page, like for real. And uh, she, Maggie has, and it's it's just been her and her father. Her mother went away when she was young. Um, The two of them love books. And one day he is reading aloud from a book called Inkheart and uh, those characters came out into the real world and like this is in her past Um, those characters came out into the world and then her mother disappeared into the book Um, and so when she's 12 she starts to like find out that this is not like magic has consequences and there are things that she didn't realize because she was so little when her mother disappeared. And now um, her father like abducts her, her father gets abducted by one of the characters he read out of the book. So shenanigans ensue. Like there's, it's a big adventure story. Um, There are all kinds of like real world versus fantasy world things going on. And it's just super enjoyable. I remember this book so fondly. I read it when it first came out and I was just like, ugh, like if I, was 12 this would be the book that I would carry around forever and never put down so that's Inkheart by Cornelia Funk okay question six is from Alex who says I have a family and friends book club we recently read Persepolis which was so so good the meeting was extra cool because my eight-year-old cousin read it and participated in the conversation it was fun having a budding reader in our midst midst which got me thinking that we should read some middle grade novels so she can join in more often I enjoy YA, so I'm totally open to reading middle grade, but I also think others in the group would enjoy it too. Do you have any recommendations for middle grade that would be good book club picks? Okay. Um, I picked Orphan Island by Laurel Snyder, which is a very um, kind of like dreamy, magical realism, maybe sci-fi, maybe fantasy, it's hard to place, um, middle grade novel about a girl named Ginny who lives on Orphan Island. They live on an island where everything is basically perfect. Um, their food, like they have to harvest food, but it's always there. There are dangerous animals and cliffs and stuff like that, but they never harm them. The weather is always perfect. Um, and the only thing that ever changes is that uh, one day every year, a magical boat appears from the ocean and car- it's carrying one young child that's going to join the island and then takes the eldest child away. And they're never seen or heard from again. So when the book opens, Ginny's best friend, Dean, is like, it's his day to go. So the boat arrives, bringing a new little girl. Um, and since Ginny's the next oldest, she becomes her like carer and Ginny becomes the elder. And then Dean is taken away. And Ginny knows that like her responsibility now is to teach this little girl, whose name is S, everything she needs to know about how to survive on the island um, and how to keep things going and uh, not to break the rules because if you break the rules there's like consequences on the island um, where it becomes dangerous and the food becomes inedible and like things sort of fall apart but Jenny decides she's not having it anymore like her best friend is gone she's terrified of what's going to happen when she gets in the boat when it's her turn to get in the boat she's not great at dealing with this little girl but she comes to like really care about S and doesn't want to leave her so when it's her turn when the boat comes again Jenny pulls it onto shore and refuses to leave. And then you watch like the consequences of that choice. So um, as I'm sure you can figure out, the book is really a metaphor or an exploration of growing up, of leaving what you've known, like the safety, hopefully the safety and comfort of being a really little kid and 
becoming like a teenager, having to learning to take risks, having to go out into the world um, on your own and do, learn to do things by yourself when maybe your friends won't be there and your family won't be there and you don't know what the, the rules are in like the grown-up world or even necessarily in like high school <laughs> where the rules are completely different from everything else you've ever experienced. So there's a lot to talk about, especially with somebody who's like eight or nine. I think that they would have a lot of opinions about Jen, the choices that Jenny makes and how her like refusal to grow up influences the people around her um, and how sometimes we make selfish choices and that's just how it is. It's just, there's just a lot to talk about, especially I think with a little kid. So that's Orphan Island by Laurel Snyder. I picked Unidentified Suburban Object by Mike Jung, which I read for the first time last year and I really enjoyed it. Um, it is, as you might guess from the title, it does have like a touch of sci-fi to it, but it's a spoiler to tell you what that is. So I'm not going to, um, but it is about a girl named Chloe Cho, uh, who is sort of like struggling with her, uh, ethnic identity um there's a lot of people in her town and at her school who don't like know the difference between for example chinese japanese and korean people um and she's always getting compared she's a violinist so she's always getting compared with this famous violinist named abigail yang and she's just like ugh, i am not your model minority like i am a person um and like everybody stop talking about me in this way and then she's also frustrated with her own parents who don't want to have anything to do with their Korean background. Like, Chloe will ask them about their family history, and they don't want to talk about it. They change the subject. Um, they seem fine with being the only Asian family in town. Uh, and so this is hard for her. Um, she has her best friend, Shelly. Uh, and she like she and Shelly are really close. And it's really only when she's around Shelly that she doesn't feel like she's just like a complete alien. Um, and then a new teacher comes to town who is Korean American and Chloe finally feels like she has somebody to talk to. And she gets assigned uh, in that class a, a like report on her family history. But as she starts to do the research for this class, she finds out that Basically, like, things are not at all what they seem. Um, I thought this book was funny. Chloe is a really entertaining narrator. She gets angry. She gets sad. Like, she has the full range of emotions. And it's really lovely to see a girl in a middle grade novel get to have justifiable, like, negative feelings as well as positive feelings. That's really, that's just so pleasant to me. <laughs> um Especially when that character is Asian, right? Because we don't get a ton of Asian representation um, in middle grade books. And so this is really great. And it is an own voices book. Um, and so I and then like the twist is kind of it's really interesting. I had like I was it, I thought about it a lot, which I wasn't expecting to for such an otherwise just sort of like jokey, a little bit comedic book. But it, it, the twist will, I promise, will instigate a lot of discussion in your book group, for sure. Uh, so I think that is what makes it so ideal for a book group. And also, like, I just think it's a really enjoyable read. So that that is a bonus. So that is Unidentified Suburban Object by Mike Jung. And our last question is from Lexi, who says, I just read Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng as a book riot wreck. OMG, love, can you please recommend more books that have a slight suspense angle, but mainly focus on really rich characters that seem authentic? What you got, Amanda? Okay, um, I do have a trigger warning for suicide for this book, and it is All My Puny Sorrows by Miriam Toes, which... Might seem a little left field for a read, a read alike for everything I never told you, but let me explain. Um, so this is a book about two sisters who grow up um, kind of like uh, hippies, uh, and then they grow they go uh, no they're not hippies they're the opposite of hippies they're like really super religious. <laughs> I don't know where I got that from. Um, and so they leave uh, after they grow up. Um, Elf Elf and Yoli are their names. Yoli goes off. Uh, she gets a job. She gets divorced. She has teenagers. She's like doing that whole. Um, like early 40s divorcee thing. And Elf becomes this like world-renowned, really glamorous pianist, um, except she is 
completely depressed. She's attempted suicide several times. When the book opens, she has tried again and failed. Uh, She's three weeks away from the opening of her next international tour. And so her husband and her agent are both like calling Yoli and trying to figure out like if she'll be okay to do the tour, if she's going to be out of the hospital in time, like if she's just going to keep trying to kill herself, which she is. Like she says, that's what's going to happen. And so... The suspense in this book is a lot like the suspense in Everything I Never Told You. I mean, you're not trying to solve a murder, but it is this, like, really complicated and enmeshed family uh, family relationships and family secrets um, that is just driving the narrative. Like, in, you know, in Everything I Never Told You, the book opens with somebody dead and you're trying to figure out what happened. And in this book, it's the opposite, where um, you're trying to figure out if or when she's going to die. And it adds this, like, just, it's so tense. Like, it's so tense and taut. But it's still handled, you know, it's not um, sensationalized and it's not treated disrespectfully. Like, Elf is a very human character. And I'm pretty, if I remember correctly, this book is a little semi-autobiographical. But um, it's just, like, there's so much sorrow. And you're, the narrator, Yoli, is just, you know, she's watching her. She wants her sister to stay alive. Like, desperately, she loves her sister. They're super close. And there are scenes where, like, she begs her, you know, not to, not to try again. And Elf has just this, you know, ethereal kind of, like, she's untouchable. Like, she can't be reached by all of these people who love her. Um, and if you've ever, like, if you have any personal experience with people who have been suicidal, it's just like, it rings so true. I really, really love this book. It's, it's weird to say that you love a book that's about what it's about, but it's just so true. Like, it's the truest. I don't even know how else to describe it. Um, in the same way that, like, the things that Everything I Never Told You deals with these huge, complicated, just crud that you deal with with your family in this really, really true way, all based, like, circling around this death of a character that the rest of the family really, really loves. So that's All My Puny Sorrows by Miriam Toes. I picked A Separation by Katie Kitamura. And Amanda, you said the word tense. That's a really good Mm. way to describe this book. It is a super tense book in which surprisingly little happens. Uh, The main character is a young woman who is separating, hence the title, from (laughs) her husband. Um, He's been cheating on her and they've been like going back and forth, but she like they finally decide, okay, we're going to separate because this is not working. Now, they don't tell anyone, though, because it's, like, new and they don't really want to talk with their families about it yet until they've decided, like, are they definitely going to get a divorce? Um, So no one knows that they're separated. And her husband, Christopher, has gone off to Greece on, like, quote unquote, a research project, but, like, probably he's just screwing around in Greece. And one day she gets a call that he has gone missing. And she she has to go because she's still listed as his like next of kin. Nobody knows that they're not married. She's like, Oh, if I don't like go like who his parents are, it's going to be weird. So she goes, um, and it, it like leaves her, you know, new relationship to go and try to find him. Um, and she, like it turns out that he's dead this is not a spoiler um because like really it's you find out pretty quickly um but so she's left in this position where no one knows that they were separating and now he's dead and now how does she like does she even tell their families like at the point is moot like he's gone so suddenly she's a widow instead of a divor- instead of a potential divorcee and like how does she grieve for him when their relationship was so damage and it and like what does it mean for her new relationship what does it mean for her life like how how is this going to play out in all of the decisions she was preparing to make which are now sort of just completely turned over because he's dead and and she has no closure so it's a really intense piece psychologically and looking at all of the complicated emotions that are bound up in a relationship that's not working, a marriage that's failing, and then you don't get to have the closure with your separated spouse and what happens to you in those moments. So it's really, it. I, I was describing the process of reading this book to somebody and I, I was saying that it's kind of like you're really stressed out 
for just, you know, like 200 pages. It's, it's short. It's like 200 pages. You're just really stressed out for 200 pages, even though not a lot is happening sort of in the plot sense. But so much is happening emotionally. And I feel like that's that's a, you know, I, more happens in Celeste Ng's books, but like that really intense look at what the emotional weight of life is, is what Katie Kitamura does so well. So that's A Separation by Katie Kitamura. And that's our show. Hey! Huzzah! <laughs> Thank you all very much for listening. Um, if you like the show, or if you don't, whatever, you could go leave us a, la- a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes the show easier to find when people are searching for it. Um, thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring the show, us and Owlgrade. <laughs> uh, you can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram these days at I'm Amanda Nelson and Jen. I am on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com. And we will talk to you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>